Today we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Now if you will pray with me. Now, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations deep within all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. If we looked at this verse with a simplified reading and understanding of the text, it would look something like this. Jesus enters a synagogue on the Sabbath where he encounters a man with a withered hand. The Pharisees were watching Jesus to see if he would heal the man. If Jesus heals the man, they were going to accuse him of breaking ceremonial law. Jesus calls the man forward into the open to stand before Jesus and the crowd gathered round. Jesus then puts the ceremonial law of the Pharisees against the moral law of God with a question. And the Pharisees stand silent. Jesus is angry and he mourns for their hardened hearts. He tells the man to stretch forth his hand, and then Jesus heals the man's hand. End of encounter, and most readers, after reading this, would go on to verse 6 and will not stop and realize what had happened here. So let's stop for a minute. Let's stop for a minute here in history and see what was really happening behind this text. In verse 1, we see Jesus entering the synagogue on the Sabbath. We are told it is the Sabbath, or the day of rest at the end of verse 2, which read, would heal him on the Sabbath. The Sabbath had different rules from the other six days of the week. As Webster defined Sabbath, the day which God appointed to be observed by the Jews as a day of rest from all secular labor or employments and to be kept holy and consecrated to his service and worship. So Jesus enters the synagogue, the Jews' place of assembly and worship, on the Sabbath, and there stands a man with a withered hand. Some uh, translations will say paralyzed hand. So you have the the indication that his hand was not like our hands and was probably withered. It might have been crippled. Um, So he, he could tell that his hand was not right. By this time, the Pharisees had had numerous encounters with Jesus and had turned on Jesus. They were jealous of his popularity. They were jealous of his miracles. They were jealous of the authority of his teachings, and they were jealous of his actions. And this jealousy would fuel the Pharisees' rage against the Christ. The Pharisees valued their status in the community. But they sought for personal gain, which caused them to lose sight of their first job, 
and that is as the religious leaders of the time. These were the people that were to point people to God and help them with their religious lives. So, if they even acknowledged Jesus on one point, they felt they were giving up their positions of power and their positions in society. And this is why the Pharisees stood back and watched Jesus. They needed to see something they could accuse him of doing that broke the law. This would tarnish, tarnish the image of Jesus and return the reins of power and control back to the Pharisees. If Jesus were to heal this man on the Sabbath, they could then accuse him of violating the ceremonial law, which in their eyes would turn the people against Jesus. Healing at this time was considered a form of work, and as I said, work was not permitted on the Sabbath. Any type of work on Jesus' part would be enough to accuse him and bring Jesus before the Sanhedrin and bring a legal case against him. Now, Jesus wasn't intimidated at all by the Pharisees and knew what they were trying to do. So instead of shying away or healing the man's withered hand in private, Jesus called the man forward. The healing was now going to be a public display, and it was going to be an in-your-face rebuke of the Pharisees and their ceremonial law. As the man with the withered hand stood before the people, the Pharisees and Jesus, Jesus would pointedly ask the Pharisees the million-dollar question. Right in the middle of this verse, the million-dollar question, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? And with that question, Jesus elevated the issue from a lawful issue, issue to a moral one. Jesus had used an argumentative style that was common in that day in the Middle East that would frame an issue between two clear-cut extremes. On this side, to save a life, versus over here, to take a life. To save or to kill. The question brought the Pharisees back to the Mosaic Law. And the Mosaic Law is one that is summed up by Jesus in the Gospels as the Ten Commandments being able to be accomplished in two commandments. And they were, love God and love your neighbor. If the Pharisees had said it is better to save than kill, they would be going against the Mosaic Law by not allowing the healing to take place. Wherein, the Mosaic Law, if you have the power to save, yet because of ceremonial laws you allow someone to die, you would then have their blood upon your hands. It would be no different than killing them yourself. Jesus was saying, Jesus was saying, lack of action on your part is sin if you are capable of saving them and don't. And this would be a clear violation of God's law, the Mosaic law. Mosaic law says to save no matter the day. As a healing was not against the Mosaic law and completely permissible, 
while the ceremonial law of the Pharisees said you couldn't heal on the Sabbath as it was a day of rest. The traditions of the Pharisees missed the point of the Mosaic law of loving God and your neighbor, turning one over to a false sense of piety and trust in man-made laws. Now, the Pharisees and their man-made law had come face to face with God and his law. And how did they respond? Simply put, they didn't. They didn't respond at all. They were silent. At any point, at any point, they could have stepped down, said, you are correct, Jesus. We were wrong. But they wouldn't do that because they hated Jesus. And their silence would allow the people to decide in their probable ignorance which law was the law to follow in this case. Would the people know the difference between the Mosaic law and the ceremonial law? And which side would they then choose? Would it be God? Or would it be the Pharisees? The Pharisees could have repented of their ignorance at any time, bowed before the Lord, put their hatred behind them. But this hatred for Jesus Christ fueled their desire to turn the people against Jesus. The, the one person the Pharisees had decided was their sworn enemy. How would Jesus respond to this silence to his question? A question that was seemingly ignored. Well, he was angry. You see, if the Pharisees had answered yes or no, they would have to admit that their views were wrong. So they couldn't answer. They could not answer. They must not answer, to keep their views and their religious practices under the cover of darkness, so to speak. There was simply not an argument morally to justify their actions. All they could really do is appeal to the ceremonial law, and in doing so, and in doing so, they would have to elevate the ceremonial law of man over the moral law of God. They would have to put man's law above God's law. And to do so would be sin. So Jesus had them backed into a corner. The Pharisees knew coming into this that they would have Jesus on the ropes. And yet again, as we see all through the Gospels, Jesus slipped right past the Pharisees, come around them, and he put their back to the wall. Basically telling them, give me an excuse, any excuse, and you'll be in sin, boys. The Pharisees were silenced, and the Pharisees were furious. And Jesus was angry that they wouldn't do the right thing. Now many will tell you that anger is a sin, and anger is a sin, if it drives you to meditate on it and become increasingly more volatile, allowing the devil an opportunity to use the issue that angered you to cause further sin. In this case, Jesus was angry. We're told in Scripture, Jesus was angry. It's right there in black and white. 
Jesus was angry. And if Jesus never sinned, as we're also told in Scripture, then here we are with scriptural proof that anger is not a sin when anger is dealt with in a scriptural manner. But if you think that it is always a sin to be angry, then Jesus sinned. And if Jesus has sinned, then the Bible is wrong. And if the Bible is wrong, then we can go eat right now and we don't have to worry about going any farther. But the Bible isn't wrong and scriptural anger is not sin. Jesus got angry at the Pharisees and that anger drove Jesus to sorrow. We're told in Ephesians to be angry and yet do not sin. Jesus was angry at the lack of compassion of the Pharisees. They were more concerned with cornering Jesus and accusing him rather than for the well-being of the man with the withered hand. Can you imagine? Can you just imagine? Take this time just to imagine someone more concerned about cornering their enemy and holding fast to the rules that they made up than your well-being. And this is exactly where we find ourselves in this account. Jesus had done nothing that would be considered sinful by the Mosaic law. Nothing. Neither did the man. Jesus didn't even touch the man, but merely had him reach out his withered hand. No touching, just words. And the Pharisees were furious. Can you imagine being upset that a person was healed and delivered from suffering to be made a productive member of society again. It would be similar to you seeing a hungry family at church. You decide to go out and pick them a basket of fruit and vegetables from your land. You have an abundance. And you have been known to help the less fortunate on the Sabbath, even though the pastor had preached sermons condemning the picking of fruits and vegetables on the Sabbath. You walk in with the basket, and the pastor sits off to the side, glaring at you. He was waiting for you to hand the basket to the hungry family soul, so he could accuse you and tarnish your image, maybe even have you removed from the church. And that is what is going on. The Pharisees did not want the man healed because it was the Sabbath. He could wait for his healing until the following day. He'd been in pain and suffering with this withered hand. What's one more day to be in pain? What's one more day to suffer to keep the ceremonial law? What's one more day of hunger to keep the ceremonial law? What's one more day of needless suffering that God's law doesn't forbid? Jesus knew this, and sadly, the Pharisees knew it, but they wouldn't budge on their adherence to their rules. Imagine the amount of self-righteousness you would need to allow another to suffer just to uphold a ceremonial man-made law. The lady with the terminal illness who wishes to dance one more time with her husband before she passes. Denied that experience because the church doesn't allow dancing. Maybe the young man that wishes to grow his hair out to donate to be made into wigs for those who've lost their hair, 
unable to do so because there's a man-made rule in place that a man's hair shouldn't touch his collar. How many times in our own lives have we not done what we should have because of some unbiblical rule that man has put in our path? Have we unknowingly caused more pain and suffering on another because of these rules? No dancing, no card playing, no meat on Fridays, no this, no that. But what would it have hurt? What we should have done, what we should have done caused us to fall into sin. Was our own soul at risk or just our personal religious views and practices? Did we have biblical backing for the actions we took? Or did we have biblical backing for the actions we didn't take? The author of Hebrews wrote in the 13th chapter, Do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. What would you do? Let me ask you this. What would you do? If you were on your way to church and seen someone in need, would you drive on past, quoting the often used verse, that you was not going to forsake our own assembling together? Sorry, ma'am. I'm on my way to church, and I do not have the time to stop and help you. I am sure the next person along will be more than happy to help. You may tell me, uh, this, this would never happen, but it does. It does, probably more than you realize. And I will go so far as to wager that at some point, one church member has passed another church member in an accident and drove right on by. They weren't late for church, but their alleged brothers and sisters in Christ were. And sadly, they were probably the ones who undoubtedly spread the gossip that so-and-so was in a wreck on the freeway and probably wouldn't be at service today. <clears throat> Does this type of action reek of mosaic law, moral law, or ceremonial law. What would Jesus Christ have had you do in this situation? Stop and help? Stop and help and pray? Or drive on by because you couldn't miss one Sunday service or be late to help someone in need? And if anybody ever gets in this situation where they need to stop and help, I've got a phone right here. All it takes is one text, one phone call. Hey, I have to stop and help somebody, and we will hold the start of the service for you until you can get here. If you're not going to make it, and you know you're not going to make it, we will continue on without you and keep you in prayer and raise you up and hold you before God that you stopped and helped in the name of Christ another human being. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. The Ten Commandments were summed up in these two commands. Love God and love your neighbor. Does your love for God trump your love for your neighbor? And I'm not talking about skipping church for months on end to cut the neighbor's lawn or rake their leaves or shovel or drive. 
I'm talking about skipping out on man-made rules, ceremonial laws, when you see a person in desperate need. And it doesn't need to be a fellow church member or a Christian from another church, but anyone. I will add an asterisk to this. If the situation you come upon doesn't seem safe, or your gut is telling you to pass by, you must go past. But that does not stop you from going where it's safe and calling for assistance for them. There's some bad people in this world, and sometimes what may look like someone in need is actually a trap. It is set up to harm you. The Holy Spirit will guide you in these situations and give you that feeling that uh, I don't think this is right, but you can still go past, get where it's safe, and get them assistance. You see, Christians as a whole are getting a bad name in this world due to their actions. Many would consider some of their actions to be downright rude and nasty. The Christian will say, I shall not work on the Sabbath. It is my day of rest. Yet, without a second thought, a group of 12 will walk into a local restaurant and they will slide up to the giant round table, all of them ordering the bottomless cup of coffee and expecting the waitress to bird dog the table, being attentive to their every need until at last. A mountain of dirty dishes, ten refills later, and a dozen dirty cups. They arise from their Sabbath feast and storm out the door for a nap, and then on to the evening service. Leaving little for a tip, if anything. Or worse, they leave one of those gospel tracts that is a fitting facsimile of a $50 bill that proudly proclaims on the back, Repent and turn to Jesus Christ for salvation of your soul as I have done. Be like me, you lowly waitress. Be like me. As Christians, we should be set apart from the world showing the love of Christ. We need to navigate a world full, now more than ever, of nasty human beings intent on destroying others. But that should not stop us from showing that love when the Holy Spirit gives us all be all clear to help. Did that one person who we stop and help, stop and check on, it could be the only love they'll feel all day. The stories of the times that Christians have listened to the Holy Spirit and made a call to someone, later, later to find out that person was contemplating taking their own lives because no one cared is staggering. One phone call when the Holy Spirit guides and a life is saved. Call Billy. Call Sandy. Leave a bit early and check on Sally. See if Helen is doing well. This is the love of Christ poured out upon others. I will tell you this, though. You will probably at some point get your feelings hurt. You will probably at some point have your feelings hurt. I have many, many times. I am a caring person, and I will reach out to others. But, Brothers and sisters, do not expect this in return. Many times you will reach out time and time again and be greeted with nothing in return. 
Have you done wrong? By no means. You have done right. You've shown the love of Christ to another. In Matthew, Jesus was speaking of the judgment. Herein, he said to those who loved God and loved their neighbor, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Jesus Christ walked into a showdown with the Pharisees, knowing that he was what he was going to do. And he walked into the showdown knowing what he must do. He walked in knowing that when he walked out of there, there would be one less withered hand in this world and one more believer in the great I Am. Jesus knew the ceremonial law didn't outweigh the Mosaic law. Jesus knew that in order to love God and love your neighbor, the man's suffering must end on the Sabbath. His healing could not wait until the next day, or the day after, or whenever it fit into the grand scheme of life. The man's withered hand would be healed, Sabbath or not. Jesus would go on to say in his ministry that greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. He, of course, was talking about laying his life down upon the cross, but also that statement, although a drastic side of the servant life, should ring true with all of us. Are you ready to lay down your lives to love? Many see laying down one's life as them dying for another, but I want you to look at it this way. Is not stopping what you're doing for a minute to help another, putting your life aside for another, laying it down, so to speak. So many times in life, we are eager to chase our own wants, our own desires, and our own hearts. The pursuit of happiness in this world only leads to more misery. Yet think of the feeling you get when you help out another when you buy a meal for a family in need, when you give clothing to someone, that old shirt that was crumpled up in a bag in the closet becomes the greatest possession another has. The look and expressions of thanks for the deeds we do, can, and do mean more than life and more in life than gaining a huge fortune or being world famous. It is often said when we get to heaven, we will be surprised who is there and we'll be more surprised who isn't there. The lady who we saw is just a simple pew sitter, was the one behind the scenes helping others and praying her knees bloody before the throne, while the ones we thought were the best of the best Christians only appeared that way, and deep down they had no love for their fellow man. 
Jesus said also at the judgment will be those who didn't show love. I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. These are the people we won't see in heaven. We must stop for a minute and look at our walks. Just stop for a minute and look at our walks. Are we merely existing in a time and space and doing what we think a Christian should do and acting how they should act? Or are you truly loving God and your neighbor and walking the walk of a disciple of Christ? Do you adhere to a law that has you do what is right no matter the day? Or do you fail to show love because of a law set up by man? Is love unconditional or conditioned by unbiblical laws and rules? Would you, if given the chance, heal on the Sabbath? Or would you walk on past? To save a life or to take a life? The choice is yours. It is time we devote ourselves to show the love of Christ to this world. Say hi to others. Hold doors open. Make that call to check on someone. Stand firm for your Lord and Savior. Show another kindness. Show another love. I've always been one to try to do the best I can in all situations to treat others with dignity and respect. Does it happen every time? No. But the majority of time it does, and it will continue. I say to the naysayers, let them laugh at your kindness. Let them speak ill of you for doing the right thing. Let them criticize and chastise you for missing a service because you helped that single mom change a flat tire. Or God forbid, God forbid that you show up late with your Sunday best dirty and wrinkled from an unexpected stop where you were used mightily of God to end someone's bad day and bring the light and love of Christ into their life. We talked last time about the state of the world, our economy, and the tensions that rage around us. It's time, brothers and sisters, to start bringing the love of Christ to others all around us. It's time to go out of your way for others. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Jesus freely gave himself up for us, and if we are ever going to be Christ-like, we will need to give ourselves up for others. For freely we received the love of Christ, and freely we should give that same love of Christ back to others. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.